chapters 36 and 37 of a short history of the united states this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this reading by allison hester of athens georgia a short history of the united states by edward channing chapter 36 secession 1860 to 1861 369 the republican nomination 1860 four names were especially mentioned in connection with the republican nomination for president these were seward chase cameron and lincoln seward was one of the best known of them all in the debates on the compromise of 1850 he had declared that there was a higher law than the constitution namely the law of nature in man's heart in another speech he had termed the slavery contest the irrepressible conflict these phrases endeared him to the anti-slavery men but they made it impossible for many moderate republicans to follow him senator chase of ohio had also been very outspoken in his condemnation of slavery senator cameron of pennsylvania was an able political leader but all of these men were too conspicuous to make a good candidate they had made many enemies lincoln had spoken freely but he had never been prominent in national politics he was more likely to attract the votes of moderate men than either of the other candidates after a fierce contest he was nominated the republican platform stated that there was no intention to interfere with slavery in the states where it existed but it declared the party's opposition to the extension of slavery the platform favored internal improvements at the national expense it also approved the protective system 370 the democratic nominations the democratic convention met at charleston south carolina it was soon evident that the northern democrats and the southern democrats could not agree the northerners were willing to accept the dred scott decision and to carry it out but the southerners demanded that this platform should pledge the party actively to protect slavery in the territories to this the northerners would not agree so the convention broke up to meet again at baltimore but there the delegates could come to no agreement in the end two candidates were named the northerners nominated douglas on a platform advocating popular sovereignty the southerners nominated john c breckinridge of kentucky in their platform they advocated states rights and the protection of slavery in the territories by the federal government 371 the constitutional union party besides these three candidates cautious and timid men of all parties united to form the constitutional union party they nominated governor john bell of tennessee for president in their platform they declared for the maintenance of the constitution and the union regardless of slavery 372 lincoln elected president 1860 with four candidates in the field and the democratic party hopelessly divided there could be little doubt of lincoln's election he carried every northern state except missouri and new jersey he received one hundred and eighty electoral votes breckinridge carried every southern state except the border states of virginia kentucky and tennessee and received seventy-two electoral votes bell carried the three border southern states and douglas carried missouri and new jersey there was no doubt as to Lincoln's election. He had received a great majority of the electoral votes, but his opponents had received more popular votes than he had received. He was therefore elected by a minority of the voters. 
373. The North and the South. Lincoln had been elected by a minority of the people. He had been elected by people of one section. Other presidents had been chosen by minorities, but Lincoln was the first man to be chosen president by the people of one section. The Republicans, moreover, had not elected a majority of the members of the House of Representatives, and the Senate was still in the hands of the Democrats. For two years, at least, the Republicans could not carry out their ideas. They could not repeal the Kansas-Nebraska Act. They could not admit Kansas to the Union as a free state. They could not carry out one bit of their policy. In their platform, they had declared that they had no intention to interfere with slavery in the states. Lincoln had said over and over again that Congress had no right to meddle with slavery in the states. The Southern leaders knew all these things, but they made up their minds that now the time had come to secede from the Union and to establish a Southern Confederacy. For the first time, all the southernmost states were united. No matter what Lincoln and the Republicans might say, the slaveholders believed that slavery was in danger. In advising secession, many of them thought that by this means they could force the northerners to accept their terms as the price of a restored union. Never were political leaders more mistaken. 374. Threats of Secession, November 1860. The Constitution permits each state to choose presidential electors as it sees fit. At the outset, these electors had generally been chosen by the state legislatures. But in the course of time, all the states, save one, had come to choose them by popular vote. The one state that held to the old way was South Carolina. Its legislature still chose the state's presidential electors. In 1860, the South Carolina legislature did this duty and then remained in session to see which way the election would go. When Lincoln's election was certain, it called a state convention to consider the question of seceding from the United States. In other southern states, there was some opposition to secession. In Georgia especially, Alexander H. Stevens led the opposition. He said that secession was the height of madness. Nevertheless, he moved a resolution for a convention. Indeed, all the southernmost states followed the example of South Carolina and summoned conventions. 375. The Crittenden Compromise Plan Many men hoped that even now secession might be stopped by some compromise. President Buchanan suggested an amendment to the Constitution securing slavery in the states and territories. It was unlikely that the Republicans would agree to this suggestion. The most hopeful plan was brought forward in Congress by Senator Crittenden of Kentucky. He proposed that amendments to the Constitution should be adopted. One, to carry out the principle of the Missouri Compromise. Two, to provide that states should be free or slave as their people should determine. And three, to pay the slave owners the value of runaway slaves. This plan was carefully considered by Congress and was finally rejected only two days before Lincoln's inauguration. 376. Secession of Seven States, 1860-61. The South Carolina Convention met in Secession Hall, Charleston, on December 17, 1860. Three days later, it adopted a declaration, quote, that the Union now subsisting between South Carolina and other states under the name of the United States of America is hereby dissolved." Quote. Six other states soon joined South Carolina. 
These were Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas. 377. The Confederate States of America. The next step was for these states to join together to form a confederation. This work was done by a convention of delegates chosen by the conventions of the seven seceding states. These delegates met at Montgomery, Alabama. Their new constitution closely resembled the Constitution of the United States, but great care was taken to make it perfectly clear that each member of the Confederacy was a sovereign state. Exceeding care was also taken that slavery should be protected in every way. Jefferson Davis of Mississippi was chosen provisional president, and Alexander H. Stevens provisional vice president. 378. Views of Davis and Stevens. Davis declared that Lincoln had made a distinct declaration of war upon our southern institutions. His election was upon the basis of sectional hostility. If, quote, war must come, it must be on northern and not on southern soil. We will carry war where food for the sword and torch awaits our armies in the densely populated cities of the north. For his part, Stevens said that the new government's foundations are laid. Its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. 379. Hesitation in the North At first it seemed as if Davis was right when he said the Northerners would not fight. General Scott, commanding the army, suggested that the erring sisters should be allowed to depart in peace, and Seward seemed to think the same way. The abolitionists welcomed the secession of the slave states. Horace Greeley, for instance, wrote that if those states chose to form an independent nation, they had a clear moral right so to do. For his part, President Buchanan thought that no state could constitutionally secede, but if a state should secede, he saw no way to compel it to come back to the Union, so he sat patiently by and did nothing. End of chapter 36. Part 13. The War for the Union, 1861 to 1865. Chapter 37. The Rising of the Peoples, 1861. 380. Lincoln's Inauguration. On March 4, 1861, President Lincoln made his first inaugural address. In it, he declared, quote, The Union is much older than the Constitution. No state upon its own motion can lawfully get out of the Union. In view of the Constitution and the laws, the Union is unbroken. I shall take care that the laws of the Union be faithfully executed in all states. End quote. As to slavery, he had, quote, No purpose to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. End quote. He even saw no objection to adopt an amendment to the Constitution to prohibit the federal government from interfering with slavery in the states, but he was resolved to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. 381. Fall of Fort Sumter, April 1861. The strength of Lincoln's resolve was soon tested. When South Carolina seceded, Major Anderson, commanding the United States forces at Charleston, withdrew from the land forts to Fort Sumter, built on a shoal in the harbor. He had with him only 80 fighting men and was sorely in need of food and ammunition. Buchanan sent a steamer, 
the Star of the West, to Charleston with supplies and soldiers. But the Confederates fired on her, and she steamed away without landing the soldiers or the supplies. Lincoln waited a month, hoping that the secessionists would come back to the Union of their own accord. He then decided to send supplies to Major Anderson and told the governor of South Carolina of his decision. Immediately, April 12th, the Confederates opened fire on Fort Sumter. On April 14th, Anderson surrendered. The next day, President Lincoln issued a proclamation calling for 75,000 volunteers. 382. The Rising of the North there was no longer a question of letting the erring sisters depart in peace. The Southerners had fired on Old Glory. There was no longer a dispute over the extension of slavery. The question was now whether the Union should perish or should live. Douglas at once came out for the Union, and so did the former presidents, Buchanan and Franklin Pierce. In the Mississippi Valley, hundreds of thousands of men either sympathized with the slaveholders or cared nothing about the slavery dispute. But the moment the Confederates attacked the Union, they rose in defense of their country and their flag. 383. More seceders. The Southerners flocked to the standards of the Confederacy, and four more states joined the ranks of secession. These were Arkansas, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia. In Virginia, the people were sharply divided on the question of secession. Finally, Virginia seceded, but the Western Virginians, in their turn, seceded from Virginia and two years later were admitted to the Union as the state of West Virginia. Four border states had seceded, but four other border states were still within the Union. These were Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri. 384. The Border States The people of Maryland and of Kentucky were evenly divided on the question of secession. They even tried to set up as neutral states, but their neutrality would have been so greatly to the advantage of the seceders that this would not be allowed. Lincoln's firm moderation and the patriotism of many wise leaders in Kentucky saved that state to the Union, but Maryland was so important to the defense of Washington that more energetic means had to be used. In Missouri, a large and active party wished to join the Confederacy, but two Union men, Frank P. Blair and Nathaniel Lyon held the most important portions of the state for the Union. It was not until a year later, however, that Missouri was safe on the northern side. 385. To the Defense of Washington The national capital was really a southern town, for most of the permanent residents were southerners, and the offices were filled with southern men. In the army and navy, too, were very many southerners. Most of them, as Robert E. Lee, felt that their duty to their state was greater than their duty to their flag. But many Southern officers felt differently. Among these were two men whose names should be held in grateful remembrance, Captain David G. Farragut and Colonel George H. Thomas. The first soldiers to arrive in Washington were from Pennsylvania, but they came unarmed. Soon they were followed by the 6th Massachusetts. In passing through Baltimore, this regiment was attacked. Several men were killed. Others were wounded. This was on April 19, 1861, the anniversary of the battles of Lexington and Concord. It was the first bloodshed of the war. End of chapter 37